Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Hello and welcome to Kernels. I'm Christopher Hooten. I'm here at the Independent Office in London and this is episode four. We've had actors up until now on the podcast, but this is our first week with the director, um, and quite a fitting one too, because you know this is a British podcast, and it's with a British director who's an exciting creator and very much on the on the rise at the moment. Um, it's Ben Wheatley. You might know him for his kind of ambient horrors set in the English countryside that he tends to do, like uh, sightseers, a field in England. But then with the last couple of films, he's really managed to kind of ensnare a big budget and really kind of go for it in terms of the kind of cinematic things he can he can create so you know when he was making films not so long ago in like in 2009 he made a film for like six grand and now he's making he's just made one for over five million so it's incredible that you know to just to take on that and to go through that rise in such a brief period of time and it must be a lot of challenges involved and that's kind of what we try and get down to a little bit really um he did high rise last year which is one of my favorite films of the year actually but um for whatever reason it got a bit forgotten about i think one of those ones where it came out really early in the year and then by the time it got to awards season it, no one really remembered it but a really really great film um and really opulent and just full of loads of amazing kaleidoscopic shots and stuff but still quite quite arty Whereas his new film, uh, Free Fire, which you may have seen, it's all on billboards right now, um, is just a much more kind of commercial, mainstream, accessible film. But not in a not in a bad way. I don't begrudge him that. It's uh, it's exciting to get him to see something, see him doing something a bit more different and more of a straight up action film. Um, so if you don't know, essentially the premise of the film is very simple. It's a it's just about a gang of criminals who go to a warehouse to meet up with a group of arms dealers and do what should be a very simple trade of money for rifles, except things start to go south and then go further south and just generally turn into a everything turns into a massive gunfight. And it's 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 basically a single what well, it is a single location piece, um, which I which I always enjoy like. And kind of regardless of quality, you know, I'll I'll fuck with phone booth. Like, there's something about those films I really like. I think maybe it's just kind of the most pure escapism in a way, because you're really for those two hours you're just going to this one location that's usually pretty bizarre or far away from where you are in your life or in in the world, and just staying there and existing with those same characters in that same place. So I always quite in, quite enjoy them. And, and Free Fire is a cool little movie. Cillian Murphy's in it. Army Hammer, who I always enjoy. Um, Brie Larson, who I think signed up for the film before she did Room, so she was kind of a sort of a nobody when she when they signed her, and then now she's an Oscar winner. So they were they were got lucky with that one. Um, but yeah, it's it's a cool movie. It's kind of like well, very much like a Tarantino thing, really. It reminded me of Reservoir Dogs. Maybe not quite as dialogue heavy as if Tarantino had done it I mean there's a lot of gunfire <laughs> in this film is accurately named I think they got through thousands and thousands of shells of ammunition 
So yeah, I caught up with Ben. Um, he was in the the penthouse suite of a Mayfair hotel, which was pretty bizarre. Essentially, at the moment, a lot of these interviews I'm doing kind of like on the road, you know, until I'm Mark Maron level and I can do an interview in my garage or a fucking canoe or something. Unfortunately, and they come to me at the moment. I'm going out to them to meet these people. Um, so we were set up there, which was it was funny for two reasons really, because it was such a a grand opulent kind of hotel room that it was very reminded me of high rise bizarrely but also just because uh ben's not a very a guy it doesn't seem to be very into uh into that sort of stuff you know he you feel like you should be meeting him in a fish and chip shop really he's a uh, quite a grounded man but um but yeah he was just he was just set up there had his shoes off his legs up he just slouched on the sofa just like watched about a million films just very comfortable and we just yeah, chatted a bit about the process really that goes into making a film like Free Fire and what it's like to do with all that money to suddenly find yourself with five million to play with rather than six grand. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy. Um, I hope you enjoy our chat. And next week uh, on the podcast, my colleague's going to be interviewing. I'm going to murder this pronunciation. I can only apologise. Julia, Julia Ducournau, um, the director of the French-Belgian horror Raw, that's getting a lot of buzz at the moment. Um, was described very memorably as a beautifully realised, symbolically rich and disturbingly erotic meditation on primal hungers. So I'm looking looking forward to seeing that one. All right, I hope you enjoy our chat. So hi Ben, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. Are you busy at the moment or are you like got between productions a little bit of time? Well no, it's all all the stuff for Free Fire at the moment, so I've just come back from Austin. Oh right, yeah. Um, Where they screened it there two days ago and I got in this morning and then got loads of press for Free Fire and then um, I'm part, doing part I'm part way through this 26 date tour up down the country doing Q&A's and stuff right like yeah yeah I caught um, Free Fire last night congrats it's really cool oh cool I, I've always been fond of um, single location kind of films yeah it's like uh, you know another riff on Dinner with Andre yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it thinking like I can't really imagine what the script looked like for this because it's so kind of action cue led yeah, I mean it's just lots of lots of description. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was it like a was it a bit of a nightmare to keep on top of when you were shooting, like in terms of the, the kind of supervision and making sure you had coverage for everything? Uh, no, I was editing as I shot it, so I, I had this system set up with, that would take the pictures straight from the cameras into an edit suite. So I, I would kind of do a bit of directing, and watch the what we were shooting on the monitors, and as it came through, then just chop it into the film. Yeah, and uh, so that way you you can you can't really go too wrong. I was reading in the um, production notes that you said um, that you enjoy editing, and I, I I make a few films myself, and I, I always really enjoy the process, even though I think a lot of people don't. Um, but why why do you enjoy the editing? Why do, why do people not? <laughs> what, <do you laughs> yeah, because it's, it's the main it's the crux of it, right? Yeah, well, it's one of the unique things of that cinema has over the novel or yeah, you know, theatre is that you can bend time. Um, so yeah, I'm I, you know I've always loved that, um, and I like the physicalness of it that you can just take a chunk of something and then put it next to another chunk of something and then it has a totally different meaning and then mm. you put something else, a third piece on and then it all means something else again and then you take them all apart and then put them together in a different order and it means something else again. So it's kind of yeah, it's the it is the boiler room of a of a film. How do you how do you like to edit? What's your like your setup and do you have like a, are you quite ritualistic about it or not really? No, I mean I generally um, for f- 
free fire it was in a little room in our house um, running on a just a standard kind of off the off the peg Mac and um, basically when Amy and I edit um, Amy Jump who's the co-writer and co-editor on this is I would I operate the machine and she sits next to me and tells me what to do yeah that's how it works <laughs> was there anything then that kind of any moments of anxiety on this on with, the, with the production things that were like were challenging or, or was it fairly smooth would you say because it was a different kind of film yeah it's pretty straightforward there's no there's no great story to the uh, the making of it I mean it was um, usually the anxiety comes in the in the financing and the putting together of the mm. film and that you know the, that's usually unusually stressful um, I wrote a diary I think around the period just because I couldn't believe what was going on you know for about six months and I reread it the other day and it just gave me the fear just <laughs> going through it like you know how many how many things were happening each day yeah. and, the, and the pressure of it all but it you know be once once it's sorted you just don't think about it again do you generally find that that like pre-production can be a more stressful but actually when you're in your in it you're kind of more in the zone on the on set and it's well, that's not so much the stressful part no that's the treat the making yeah. of the thing is a treat and the editing is slightly stressful because you start to see the shape of what you've made and that you're going to be responsible for and then you've got all the anxiety up until the release but the actual the actual shooting bit is the you know in my experience anyway has been has been the fun bit mm. and then because it was all based in like one warehouse in Brighton right mm. so you might, were you guys all you know staying around the set and around there a lot a lot of the time together or well, it was in the summer it was really nice so they, all the actors had apartments and loads of crew were living there as well yeah. I, I live around the corner from the, actually live around the corner from where we were shooting so yeah it was great and um, does that make a difference you think or is that a myth you know the idea that when everyone's kind of in this one location together that there's it feels like more of a, a unit I don't know well it's different because I was living I had a really solid home life which I don't usually have when I'm shooting Usually yeah. I've, I'm away somewhere, and then it's kind of living with away from the family. But on this one, I, I went home at six and could have dinner with, with my kid and my missus and stuff. So it was that was much more stable than usual, and it felt really good because usually I'd be stuck into kind of going out to the pub and being away. You know? Yeah. Um, but it, it was I, I really enjoyed it. But yeah. But then the other end of it was that a lot of what I found was interesting having lived in Brighton for like 20 years was having a load of people who'd never been there before turn up in the town and then find all the really good restaurants which I didn't know anything about (laughs) (laughs) a new year is full of surprises but one thing is always predictable postage costs go up stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services so when postage goes up your business will barely notice the change Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. 
hard to keep on top of that stuff, isn't it? Like, I don't know. Well, my experience of Brighton is often the train station in my house, so I don't really get to yeah, see yeah. much. <laughs> Did I read that you um you kind of were researching sort of real gun battles with the police and stuff before the film? I kind of find that quite fascinating that in in real life they're not you know these fifteen second things like you often see in movies are these really kind of drawn out things where people don't actually fire for a very long time and well or not very straight either you know yeah. they, they miss a lot I think yeah I've, I've looked at the trans, FBI's transcripts and stuff like that and yeah it did strike me that it was kind of is it's a messy business and it's you know I think that the thing that's missing from a lot of the Hollywood stuff or even in video games it's the same thing is that Firing at a target is one thing, but when the target fires back at you, and it, and it, it basically could mean the difference between life or death, it, it tends to affect people massively, you know, and, mm. and to the point where kind of training and stuff kind of goes out the window a little bit. So it's it's much more frantic than than Hollywood lets would lead us to believe. You know. Yeah, you mentioned video games. Do you play at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Counter Strike was a big influence on this film. Really? Yeah, because I've been playing that since the beginning. Um, assault level is is not dissimilar to this. Yeah, yeah. and um, I guess it's kind of like it's a necessity that it's set in the seventies because, like, mobile phones existed, it would be <laughs> all over very quickly. Yeah, it'd be a short film, that's for sure. <laughs> Do you find that like I don't know, there is that limitation in a way now where so many kind of classic film film setups are kind of rendered difficult to do when you've got this kind of modern tech. It's very difficult because on one hand it's not as if mobile phones have stopped all murders no it doesn't seem to have made a dent in it particularly yeah though I think it certainly helps the police catch people much quicker because we're basically tracking ourselves the whole time but yeah I don't think modern cinema has really come to grips with the uh, with the mobile phone um, it's kind of so integral to everybody's lives and so much information is passed through it in a really uncinematic way that it, you know, it's difficult to show it on screen because it just looks rubbish. But yeah, it's, it's hard though because I feel like it, it is inherently uncin and cinematic. But you kind of have a, a duty to it in a way, don't you? If, if you're you know, documenting, I, yeah. I don't know. I maybe wonder if you know people at one point thought the telegram wasn't very sexy. You know, well, <laughs> it's if you watch, um, oh, what's it called, um, uh, Bullet. In Bullet, there's a really long sequence about uh, facts. And they send a, the teletype picture of the guy across, and they keep have to go back to the office. It's going, draw, 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 yeah. and coming out, and it's like really super high tech. And like a lot of noir movies are about high tech. So, um, Kiss Me Deadly has quite a lot of detail about his um, answer phone machine, which is like this massive reel to reel thing. And that's kind of right in the middle of the story is him receiving all these answer phone messages and playing them back and hearing them. Yeah. So, you know. I think I think it's there, but as far as I can see, the only th the show that has the most and best use of mobile phone stuff is Ray Donovan for me. Yeah, they seem to, that seems to be right in the middle of the show. The idea of him communicating with lots of different people really, really quickly through phone and through text and stuff. Have you seen Chef as well? That did it quite nicely. No, I didn't see Chef. No. Yeah. Um, also, better things. I don't know if you've seen that show with Pamela Adlon no they had a really nice moment where it actually got really dramatic where it's like you know someone's typing and you can see the little three dots you get or something mm. and they stop and it actually created, created a really kind of like choking moment <laughs> it was interesting so you're watching that and then you go sad face yeah on your phone. <laughs> sad face. and then 
So Martin Scorsese ended up executive producing mm. this. How did that come about, and was it? Um, well, it was through. Um, I'd met him through uh, while he was here doing Hugo. He did an interview for the Telegraph, I think, and they asked him what he'd been up to in the evenings, and he said he'd been watching British films, and he'd seen like um, Archipelago, the Jonah Hogg movie, and um, Andrew Arnold stuff, and he said he'd seen Kill List as well. So I kind of I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I got my agent to um, contact his agent and said, can can I meet up? You know, and uh, and I and I saw him in New York. Uh, um, well, when I was doing the press stuff for Sightseers, and we went to his house and met him, and it was really amazing, you know, as you imagine. Yeah, you must have gone in, you know, with so many like preconceived notions of what he'll be like, you know. It's, 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 no, I don't know, I just didn't, it's just panic, really, and kind of, but he's, he's exactly how you would imagine him, you know, he, he, it's just this incredible encyclopedic knowledge of cinema and kind of steep, steeped in it, but also that. You've come kind of started to get like a kind of weird cultural feedback, realizing that you just knew everybody and met everyone, and that all the stuff I knew about films is stuff I'd read, mm. and that everything he knew about films is stuff he'd lived. Yeah, <laughs> so it's a bit weird. Yeah, that's <laughs> the <been. laughs> um, I loved High Rise. I think it's that's my favorite film of yours. Oh, cool. it's amazing. Um, that was, I guess, the first one where you got, a, you know, the really kind of budget to really realise everything how you'd want it to mm. be um, and Down Terrace your mm. first one right what was the budget on that? £6,000 <laughs> going to what we're, what we're talking about roughly now 5.5 million so when you when you get these bigger budgets do you immediately know exactly where about where it is in the production that you want to spend it and you think this is the parts that I want to improve is it or does it take a little bit more thinking about than that? I don't think you think of it in those specific terms. It's more that there's a general pot of money, and then there's a then there's the thing you've got to do, and then it starts getting doled out like dealing cards. Basically, you kind of keep so everything's kind of even, even, even because you don't want to suddenly go, oh, we spent all the money on effects, so therefore you can't yeah. have a sound man or something like that. So yeah. it's all kind of thing, and then you then you start to look at it and go, well, maybe something's been there's too much money here. We don't need that, and then you start to to reassign it around where you think there's going to be a problem or that with the person who's been doing the budget will go well I think it'll take you five days to shoot that and you and as the director you kind of go I think it's probably more two days and that's fine or you've only allowed a day for this when it's going to cost to take three so it's that kind of just very gently putting the beans out from one little pot in, into the next yeah. until you, you're committed to it yeah and like with the last couple of films you've you know moved into different genres quite a lot um, is that something you want to continue with there other other kind of genre films you want to make or yeah I mean I you know I love cinema and there's many different types of genre that I haven't even been near yet so I think we'll we'll try and make a rom-com at some point and probably make a kids film and cowboy film and really sci-fi film yeah yeah have you got like a, you know ideas in mind for rom-com and stuff or yeah well we've been trying to put stuff together for a while but it's it's just taking time, you know. I think we want to make stuff that's a bit more cheery and less uh, murderous, but um, we haven't yeah. managed it yet. We want to do a film where no one dies. Yeah, I suppose you must feel like you want to do it after a while. Yeah, yeah, why not? 
And what what have if you're able to talk about what have you got coming up in the immediate future? Um, well, we should be making Freak Shift this year, which is a sci-fi film um, that that Amy and I have written, which has been in development for five six years now. So finally, that one looks like it's going to happen, which is about um, women with shotguns fighting giant crabs. Amazing. There you go. It sells itself. Doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <yeah. laughs> I, I read to you was there was a talk of a TV show in the works as well. Is that still going, or is that on the back burner? Or? Oh, that's on the back burner at the moment, I think. Yeah. Was it about the was it about Silk Road? You? Yeah, it's kind of it's difficult doing stuff about technology because it all moves so quick. So yeah. It's, it's already. Yeah. I think everyone's having that problem at the moment. Is that everyone's like trying to like how do we cover Trump when he moves so fast you know <laughs> if we're looking at shooting something in nine months God knows what the world's going to look like then yeah well they should do, just shoot quicker that's the thing <laughs> just do it like do it. yeah well they used to do that didn't they you do live live broadcast stuff of, you know play for today style thing and they could easily do that yeah they'd have to write it fast that's the only thing but you know the, the writers room stuff in the states pump them pump scripts out reasonably quick so they could do it but I guess that's why it's only um SNL are doing the, the right on the nose of it aren't they yeah they are Britain doesn't seem to be able to do that as much for some reason America's like kind of nailing the whole kind of the Trump aspect or is the Britain's like ability to like satirise Brexit doesn't seem to be working in the same way well, for whatever reason it's a different thing isn't it <laughs> <laughs> cool alright well um, yeah thanks for your time today Ben <laughs> ok thank you cheers alright that was episode 4 Ben was a pretty chill dude, as I'm sure you you could tell. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. If you want to subscribe to the app, that would be great. It means the each episode is just going to come straight through to your phone rather than having to seek it out if you want to keep listening. And I hope you do. Um, we're also on Twitter and Instagram, so get following us and tweeting us if you know if you have any thoughts. This is a new podcast. We know want to know how we can make it better and uh, more interesting for you guys. So um, yeah, until next time.